Good morning, church. Today's scripture comes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. This can be found on page 143 of the Bible in your pew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away. When you lie down and when you rise, bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you so much. Well, I want to welcome all of you back to our final installment of Bible 101. Have you all enjoyed this series? I feel like this has been kind of one of those life-changing series for our church and for some of us. I've heard from a number of you, this is a very impactful series. I appreciate that all of you have stuck with us through this and have engaged in such a way with the Bible. It's a very important, well, it's the most important book we can read or collection of books. Over the last few weeks, we've taken a look at the Bible taken a look at the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible. We've taken a look at the New Testament. We've talked about how they were written, why they were written, how they were assembled, and when potentially that that happened. We uh, talked last week, Pastor Rob talked, uh, more about some modern kind of issues that we face, especially around translations. I mean, there are a lot of translations. Would you agree? And so we talked through that. And along the way, we've given some practical applications. The first week, uh, we gave out a Bible reading plan. It wasn't the whole Bible, but it was a chapter a day uh, all the way through the end of 2018. If you didn't pick that up, there's one in the connection desk. You can pick them up on the way out. Extremely helpful. Uh, we talked, uh, Pastor Rob challenged us all to memorize all 66 books of the Bible in under a minute. Y'all have all done that, right? I'm still working on it too, but don't tell Rob I said that. But... You don't have to memorize all books, just the names of the books. I just want to be clear about that. So, We also challenged you, uh, or invited you to download the Bible app, both something that you can read on your phone, the Bible actually on your phone, or you can actually listen to it as you're commuting or driving somewhere. It's a really helpful app. If you need more help on that, our connection desk will help you. The connection desk does everything. They're like our giant band-aid. They just do whatever we need. They're great. Uh, we were challenged to join a small group. If you need help finding a small group, our connection desk can help you with that. Uh, we invited our small groups to begin every other series to start looking at uh, the Bible, to, to actually read through the Bible together as a group. The point is, we challenge you to read the Bible, not in a vacuum, not just alone, but in community. I don't know about you, but I've heard God say amazing things through somebody sitting across the table from me. When we're studying the Bible, have you ever experienced that? It's it's phenomenal. It allows me to see the Bible in a different way because the Holy Spirit is there. We talked about the different versions of the Bible. Pastor Rob reminded us that the very best version of the Bible is what? The one you'll read. Y'all are so great. You've been so attentive and attuned. So it's one thing to read the Bible. You ever find it difficult to understand what it means? Just, just me? Or do you all too? Okay, good. All right. I'm just making sure you're alive there. So I don't know about you, but I can read the Bible. And over the course of my life, 
I can read the same set of uh, scripture passages over and over and over again. And they, I read them 50 different ways. You ever find yourself doing that? It's amazing that the living word is, is actually alive, right? It, it means something as we interact. It's, and it can be somewhat intimidating to try to read the Bible and really understand its meaning. So we're going to talk about one thing today. How we read the Bible can change its meaning for our lives. I'm going to say that, say that again. How we read the Bible can change its meaning for our lives. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been to a, a bathroom in a restaurant? And you've gone and, and what's that sign that's over when you're washing your hands on the mirror? It says, employees must wash hands. I saw a note written under it one time in Sharpie on the mirror. It said, waited 45 minutes. Employee never came to wash my hands. Huh? Whoever laughed loud, but thank you. A little bathroom humor for you today on a Sunday morning. How we read the Bible can change its meaning for our lives. So I'm going to invite you, would you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 through 9? It's on page 143 of your Pewback Bible. I don't know what page it is on your other Bibles, but that's the one I know about. So if you turn there, and as you're turning to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 through 9, I'm going to give you some context around it. What's happening? So there's this guy named Moses. Moses was the guy that God used to deliver God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And uh, and as they left, they didn't go directly to the promised land. They walked just casually through the Red Sea as it parted. They went and they lived in the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses was the leader through all that. And then we get to the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses knows that he's not going into the promised land. So he's giving this farewell speech. He's saying goodbye to the people that he's been with for the last 40 years. And he's kind of worried about them. Because he's been with them for 40 years and he knows them. So he's reminding them over and over of what they should do when they reach the promised land. And, and he says things like, remember the commands that God has given you. Remember, and he says, he talk, starts talking about the Ten Commandments. That you should worship no other God before you. You should not murder, you shouldn't steal. And he goes through all these commands. He nuances with a couple other commands. And then this is what he says. So he said all this, that you should do this. And then he answers the question why you should do this. He says in verse 3, chapter 6, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, these commands, so that it may go well with you, and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. That's the why. That's why he's saying all this. Okay, so what are we supposed to do about it, Moses? Well, Moses says in uh, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep, does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, Jesus says it later on in the book of Matthew. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. That's the what we should do. And then he goes on to say, okay, Moses, I, I hear what you're saying, but how do I do this? And he goes on to say, recite them in verse 7. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. And write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So 
I don't know about you, but as I'm reading through that, there's like 15 different ways that I can read what Moses is saying. It means something different depending on how I read it. For instance, some of us might read it literally, right? We might read through and read that part of the Bible and think when Moses says that if you want to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and might, I'm sorry, heart, soul, and might, then I need to literally... Right, keep God's, bind God's commands to my hand and fix them as an emblem on my head. Could you imagine doing that literally? So take a look at the screen. This is called Tefein. Can we get that? Yeah. And so you can see that there is a symbol on it that those little leather boxes, that's what it means. Tefein is these little leather boxes. They contain within them, uh, Hebrew, the Torah, parts of the Torah on small parchment because They took that part literally. So you can find some Orthodox Jews who have literally bound them, in this case, not to his hands, but to his bicep. But he's bound them around and he's bound them to his head as part of his spiritual discipline, as part of his deal. He took that part literally, right? Now, some of us, well, we're not necessarily reading most of the Bible to look at what it says literally. We're looking for that deeper layer of spiritual meaning. You know what I'm talking about? So we assume that when Moses says in verse 3 that we should observe these commands so that it might go well for us in the promised land, that we might multiply greatly if we would just love God and uh, with all of our heart, soul, and might and keep God's commands. I don't know about you. I, I love God. Now, I'm a work in progress. Amen. We're all a work in progress. I love God. I want to keep God's commands desperately. I'm trying to do that. But I am happy and content with one child. Just me. Uh, I, I don't know that I need to be blessed with multiple lots and lots. I don't need like 15 kids. That's just not me, right? And now some of you will say, well, I've actually never had any children. And so how am I supposed to read this text faithfully? So am I doing something wrong? Am I not, am I not keeping God's commands? Well, well, you gotta look at the deeper spiritual meaning of this text. Okay, well, I don't know about you, when I signed up for Christianity, uh, and I've decided to follow Jesus, Jesus never said life was gonna go well for us. Amen? I mean, there may be some pockets, some glimpses, but life can be difficult, especially as a Christian. So how do we take what Moses says and instead of glossing over it, how do we find how it applies to us? Well, we got to look at a deeper level, a deeper meaning. In other words, the deeper meaning might be living a life, uh, a full life with God in this life and a life to come. Right. It's it's about what those things mean in the context. So that's Deuteronomy six, verse three. Can we get that on the screen? So that's more figurative, right? That's the deeper meaning. Now, some of us are more future focused, right? We are looking at the Bible and we're reading everything that can help us down the road. We're looking, okay, how will this help me predict what's coming so that I might better be prepared for it in this life? Now, when Moses says that keeping these commands will increase your chances of staying in the land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of our ancestors has promised you, we might read that future focus to be prepared, right? So we are waiting for that promised land to come for us. Now, that doesn't mean, if we're going to read that faithfully, that for us, the promised land, that we need to move to the Holy Land, or that America has now become that promised land. Actually, if we read that future focus, what we're reading is, man, Moses might be glimpsing for us heaven, right? 
time with God. So we want to prepare by keeping these commands to be ready for heaven. And so we might look future focused as a way of being prepared. And finally, some of us will just read this at face value because we're reading and looking for the moral lessons from the Bible so that with God's help, we would live lives with godly morals. And that's a good thing too. But how we read the Bible can change its meaning for our lives. The fancy seminary word for all of this is the word hermeneutics. I'll bring it out at fancy dinner parties. Like, did you know the hermeneutic in which we approach scripture really matters? Or uh, another fancy word is eschatological, but we'll talk about that some other time. So I'll use the word hermeneutic. The way I like to say it, it's a set of glasses that we put on before we open the Bible. It's a hermeneutic, a set of glasses, a set of perspectives. What, uh, why, it's, it's uh, how we're approaching the Bible. And so I would, uh, for our purposes today, propose that there are four primary types of biblical hermeneutics. Anagogical, which took me like three weeks to say it correctly. Anagogical, literal, allegorical, and moral. So uh, anagogical is anticipatory. Right? We're focused on the prophetic future. We're reading the Bible in such a way that we want to be prepared. Literal is we're focused on the word for word. We're doing deep dives into every literal meaning so that we can literally uh, take what God has prepared for us through the Bible. Allegorical. We're always looking for that deeper layer. That's the, that's the glasses that we put on. We're looking for the deeper spiritual meaning, how it can connect to us. And finally, moral. We want to focus on the ethical lessons of Scripture so we can uh, be living our best life, right? I mean, we want to be exactly who God's called us to be. So we're focused on the uh, moral interpretation. Are you all with me so far? So here's the thing. I don't know about you, but this is this is it can be a little boring, right? So I want to invite you to go on a trip with me. You ready? You like how I did that? Come on a trip with me. So I want to invite us to say uh, to I want to make a comparison this morning that our lives, the way we live them, uh, our journey in lives is a lot like I-95. Y'all just sit with that for a second. Think about it. You know what I'm talking about, especially this week. All right. I mean, we might be going along and saying, yeah, honey, I'm leaving for work now. I'll see you in uh, five years or, you know, I mean, five hours. Sorry. But uh, this week was a little, I mean, what was that prime truck doing on the side of the road? You know, what, what was with all the accidents this week? You never know if somebody's going to slam on their brakes because they saw the Holy Spirit jump out in front of them. Like, you never know what's going to happen. You never know if you're going to get caught in the HOV land and end up in Pennsylvania because you couldn't find a way off. Right. Life life can be like I-95. It can be unpredictable. It can be unsettling at times. And I don't know about you, but it just reminds us that we should say a little daily prayer every day because I know I pray every time I get on I-95. Thankful for my three-minute commute. I can visit it. I don't have to live on it, right? So I'm going to, if that's true, if we're going to compare our lives to I-95, then I want to suggest that reading the Bible, right, is much like uh, deciding, making decisions, or figuring out the best way to drive down that road. Are you with me? So if I-95 is like our life, the Bible can help us decide the best way to drive down the road. Now, so we put on different glasses. Now, these glasses, you wouldn't know it, but you know what I call these glasses? These are my driving glasses. 
I, I don't call them my driving glasses, but I have to wear them to drive. It's on my license. I, I could get arrested for that. No, a ticket or something. I don't know. But I have to wear these. You know why? Because I read too many books in seminary and my, I can't see far away. That's right. I told you I'm really smart. So anyway, I, I see really far. I have to use these glasses to see really far down the road. Now here's the trouble with that. If I am so excited about my driving glasses that all I do is stare really far down the road, I'm going to miss those brake lights in front of me when the Holy Spirit came out, you know, and spooked the person. And so if I do that, that's reading the, uh, then I'm going to get in a, a wreck, right? Or at least I could. Now, that's reading the Bible anagogically or in an anticipatory way. I've got these glasses on. It's, but here's the problem with that. If we predict and prepare for the future, Every time we read the Bible, if that's the only way that we're reading the Bible, then we're going to miss out on God's call in our life here and now. So that's the danger of just being future focused. So my father-in-law, who's like 66, he doesn't need these glasses. His eyes are amazing. And he reads more books than I'll ever imagine reading. You know what he does? Yeah, he needs reading glasses because he hit 40 somewhere along the way. And when he's driving... I want you to pretend that these are reading glasses. I, I'm too cheap to go buy any. So anyway, because I don't need them. He, uh, he will look at the map on his phone, but he has to put on his reading glasses to do it. He can't see a thing if he does, or he has to do, it's got to be out in front of his car, right? So he will do this. And here's the danger with that, right? If we are wearing our re- reading glasses when we drive, then we're so focused on what's closely in front of us. One of two things can happen. We're either staring at our map, while we're going and we never look up at the road, what's going to happen? I'm going to crash. This is really weird. I'm not going to do that anymore. The other danger is some of us are like, oh, pastor, I would never look at the phone while I drive. So here's what I'm going to do. I only, I study the map and I get familiar with the map before I go on my journey. Well, here's the problem with that. If all we do is stare at the map and we never leave, then we'll miss the journey. It'll never be any good to us because we won't go down the road. That can be the danger of reading the Bible literally. Uh, trying to understand the meaning of every syllable so much that we can miss the greater story of what God is doing in the world and in our lives. Uh, a good, good example of this is I caution people to take Jesus literally, right? In Matthew 5, when Jesus says, I want you to gouge out your right eye if it causes you to sin. If we took that literally, we'd be the pirate patch church. I don't feel like that would be very invitational, right? <laughs> hey, come on, uh, here's a fork for your eye. So when I was younger and I was learning to drive, I didn't need these glasses. I brought props today. Y'all like this? I can be creative. I didn't need my driving glasses. I had sunglasses. My eyes were like fighter pilot. People, I'd go to the eye doctor. He'd be like, man, your eyes are so amazing. Thank you. I've got these cool sunglasses. So I would drive. When I was learning to drive, I'd wear my sunglasses. Now, my dad taught me how to drive. I was, you know, 15 and a half. He was sitting there in the passenger seat. And my dad's a little intense, if you ever meet him. You might not think it at first, but when he's teaching you how to drive, he's really intense. And he'll say things like, son, I want you to turn left. Yeah, he talks like that. It's crazy. And I would, here's what would happen. I'm over there and I'm thinking, okay, what does he mean by turn left, right? And I start to hesitate. I'm thinking, does he mean turn left? Does he mean turn right? Is he tricking me? Is he testing me? Does he mean that this car's turning left and I need to be careful? What do I do right now? Is somebody else coming? Am I not seeing? What am I not seeing? And one time, I kid you not, I turned to my dad and I said, dad, what do you mean turn left? And he said, 
Turn left, son. What do you think I mean? Right? That can be the danger of reading the Bible allegorically. In other words, if we only read the Bible to find the deeper meaning, then we can miss on what it, uh, what it's actually saying, what the practical teachings of the Bible are. Now, when I'm driving down 95 and my wife Melissa's in the car, I wear a different set of glasses. Now, these are my, uh, another set of driving glasses. Sure, that's fine, but <clears throat> they make me look like Clark Kent, right? I Googled it. It's true. And then I took a selfie. It was amazing. And then, but here's, here, it's not about these glasses. What would happen is I would then take these glasses off. I look like Superman, don't I? You waiting? Yeah. You didn't have to laugh that hard, all right? Come on. So I'll wear what I call my superhero invisible glasses, my Superman glasses when I'm driving with my wife because here's what's going to happen. I'm driving down the road and I'm going to be the most perfect driver she's ever met because here's what I'm going to, I'm going to hit the brakes with finesse. I'm going to talk about with, I don't need a map. Because I know in my mind I'm so confident where we are going. That never happens to any of the guys in here. But that happens to me. And I'll uh, I'll have the perfect soundtrack going on. So that as we go, she's like, man, this is... And so that eventually she'll turn to me and say, Oh, oh, Mark, you drive so well and you're so ruggedly handsome. Wow. I didn't need that for the sermon, but I thought it'd be fun to, you know, show you, show you my true heart there. So... I will drive with my superhero invisible glasses and I'll drive down the road and I'll try to be perfect when I'm driving. Problem is, I'm not a perfect driver. My wife reminds me of that on a regular basis, no matter how hard I try. But but it's true. None of us are perfect. But when we read the Bible focused solely on finding the immoral, the moral interpretation, in other words, when we're trying so hard to be so perfect in the Bible, We can look at it as a self-help book. What we can get out of it to be a better person, to be a better husband, father, wife, son, daughter. And we can be so focused on the self-helpy part that we can miss the abundant grace of Jesus Christ that is resounding through Scripture. How we read the Bible changes its meaning for our lives. Now, there are other types of hermeneutics, other types of glasses that we can wear, other types of lenses, but these are the four primary types of biblical hermeneutics. Now, if you were to ask me, Pastor Mark, what kind of glasses should I wear when I approach? Which one's the best? You know what I would tell you? Trifocal transitional lenses. You like that? Trifocal transitional lenses. In other words... I recognize that we're all going to have a bias as we read it. We're all going to lean towards one of these hermeneutics, most likely. But my hope is that we would be aware of our own bias when reading the Bible. And we would be more attuned by the power of the Holy Spirit to the hermeneutic or the set of glasses that are necessary for the Scripture in front of us. And sometimes that's going to mean that we're using multiple glasses at the same time. Sometimes that's going to mean that we're only using one set of glasses, but that we, we would be aware of that and be willing to expand our perspective with God's help, that we might clearly hear and discern God's will in our lives and in the world. So when we're trying to get a clearer picture of how to read the Bible, I think hermeneutics are great. It's also helpful to be aware of context. And there are three types of biblical context, primary types, historical, literary, and the context of the greater narrative. So in Matthew 5, verse 41, Jesus says, 
if anyone forces you to go a mile, go the second mile as well. So we might read that without historical context and think, man, I'm not going to listen to what Jesus is saying there. Jesus wants me to be a pacifist? Like he wants people to walk all over me? Are you kidding, Jesus? But historically, Jesus was speaking to the Jewish people who were under foreign occupation by uh, Rome, by Roman, and so Roman citizens by law could go up to somebody who wasn't a Roman citizen, like a Jewish person, and say, hey, I've got this heavy bags, and the law said that up to a mile they can force somebody to carry their bags and walk with them. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I know you're under oppression, and it can be tough, but here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to be mad about it. I don't want you to retaliate. I want you to take those bags and say, you know what, I got this. I could do one. I could do two miles. So with the historical context, it shifts the meaning. It's no longer a story about defeat or letting people walk all over you. It's a story about empowerment in the face of oppression. Right? Historical context can be very helpful. And then literary context is a little bit different. And there are three types of literary context. Narrative uh, is the first. This is a storytelling. Uh, you'll find this all throughout the Old Testament, especially. It's like Hollywood manuscripts, like written. Uh, there are amazing stories from different perspectives. A narrative plot. Some stories, like First and Second Chronicles, are more historical, and it's like a history book. Some of them, uh, some of these stories, like the ones that Jesus tells, are more figurative in nature, right? Like the parables. Jesus is telling a story to make a metaphor. Like in Luke chapter 15, when Jesus is talking about the love of God and how much God loves us, he tells a story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he left the 99 to go find the one. Or he tells about a woman who had 10 silver coins and she turned the house upside down to find that missing silver coin. He's using a parable. He's using metaphor to explain the meaning, and that's a narrative, it's a story. And then finally, in narrative, there's some that are more biographical in nature, that just talk about a person and and explain that. In addition to the narrative style, there's also poetry. If If you've ever read the book of Psalms, it's one of the best collections of poems I've ever read. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall fear no evil. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Isn't that beautiful imagery? Isn't that beautiful? But you got to know it's a poem. You got to know that when you read the context. And finally, there's another form of literary style called discourse. These are mostly letters uh, written by uh, in the epistles by Paul, Peter, James, and the like, uh, they're they're making a reasonable sound argument about something, right? So you'll find a lot of therefore, so that. In fact, Moses, in the midst of the story, right, he was having a discourse today. Therefore, so that, and that's how you can identify a discourse. Romans 12:2, the apostle Paul writes, "Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." So that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's a discourse. It's a style. Hear me say this. You might find a poem in a narrative story. So don't be stubborn and keep reading it like a narrative. Switch over and recognize that it's a poem. You may find a narrative story in a discourse. And this is important because you would never, you would never try to take a poem literally, would you? 
I mean, you might take parts of it literally because it's intended for that, but by and large, it's, it's invited to help you with the imagery. Nor would you interpret an entire discourse or letter looking for a deeper spiritual meaning. When James, in his letter, in the book of James, says, look, true religion is caring for orphans and widows. He means that literally. There's no deeper spiritual level there. I mean, there may be, but that's not what it's intended there. Here's my point. Some of us, myself included, when I don't like something that's being uh, that's in the Bible and it's literal, I'll take it figurative so I don't have to do it. And if something's figurative, I'll take it literal so I can use it against somebody else to harm them to get my way to prove my point. My point is, we have to be aware of what we're doing. So here's a practical application. When we have a study Bible, the introductions in those study Bibles are extremely helpful. Do you know why? I, I don't know about you, I don't read the introductions of books. Can I get an amen, right? Unless I'm studying, I see hands raising, that's right, you're enthusiastic about it. But read the introductions in your study Bibles, here's why. Because they provide the greater context, they'll tell you if it's historical, if it's literary, they'll tell you if it's a poem or not. Uh, they'll, they'll give you all of those perspectives so that you can make greater decisions on which Bible to read and it will even connect to the greater story. So the context of the greater narrative is fascinating for me. And that's the final biblical context. How does the entire story, all 66 Bible books, come together to tell one great story of what God is doing in the world? And if we forget that that's what's happening, we'll miss a lot of the truth that's happening through the story. So take Genesis 11, for example. The flood has already happened. God's people are gathered together. And they are, or the people left on earth, rather, are gathered together. And they built this amazing city. And they're filled with pride. And, they're, and they say to each other, because they all speak one language, let's build this tower that reaches to the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. And they're doing it. And then God comes down and scripture says that God confuses them and they start to speak different languages. And uh, they can't understand each other, so they just walk away from the building project and they go and form all these other nations. And that story is called the Tower of Babel because they were babbling. So what does that story mean for us today? Well, fast forward to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We see that in Genesis 11, God had scattered God's people, or God had scattered the people of the earth by confusing them, by separating them by language. But in Acts 2, the disciples, they weren't prideful, they were humble, and they were gathered together in this room, up in the upper room, and Jesus had ascended into heaven, and they're praying together with great humility, and they're desperate for the Holy Spirit of what Jesus promised, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, like a rushing wind, comes upon them, and they go out, and they start preaching the gospel, and they're in Jerusalem, and it's this festival where people from all nations have gathered together, and every single person can understand what they're saying in their own language. And so you combine these two stories and you see that through pride, God separated the people, scattered them to the ends of the earth. And through humility, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God unites them by what? Language. It's, it's fascinating to look at the greater story. That greater narrative matters. The other day I was watching a debate with two prominent politicians. I was actually excited. I feel like this is oxymoron. I was excited to watch the debate. Uh, because for once it felt like that they were actually talking about the issues at hand and not just trying to destroy each other's character. Do you ever find yourself finding that? So for me, I don't watch a lot of debates, but that was one that I hadn't seen in a while where they were actually just talking about the issues at hand. And then what happened after 
the sound bites came. And it was interesting to me because uh, the liberal media had taken what the conservative politician had said and they chopped up what he said. And they sent out sound bites meant to discredit what they were saying. And then uh, the uh, conservative media took what the liberal candidate said and they chopped up what they had said, put it into sound bites and sent it out on the Internet to discredit what he was saying. And I was re- I was watching those, having watched the debate, and I said, that's not what they're saying. Because it had been taken out of what? Context. Context, context matters. How we read the Bible will change its meaning for our lives. If we're not careful, we can be in danger of using the Bible as a weapon to harm others rather than a tool to connect them to God. Now, I want to caution you, this shouldn't stop us from reading it. Does it... Have I painted a picture of how intimidated we should be when we read the Bible? Sure. But I've also painted a picture of how much we desperately need to read the Bible. Because here's what I know. If reading how we read the Bible will change our lives or change its meaning for our lives, if we don't read the Bible, it'll never change our lives. There's this way to read the Bible called Jewish Meditations. Uh, it's this Jewish practice of reading scripture over and over and over and over and over again, not, not for the purpose of getting something out of it, but so that the scriptures would get into you, get into all of us. I'm not asking us to get rid of our glasses that we wear when we read the Bible. I'm inviting us to be more consciously aware of the, of the glasses that we read, that we were wearing rather, when we read the Bible because the glasses that we are wearing are the decisions that we are making and we all make decisions intentionally or not about what that scripture says and the glasses that we will wear during that time will inform those decisions, those understandings. And context, biblical context, historical, literary, and the greater context of the narrative, it's going to help with that. But I don't want us to, to forget that we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit, the one who is with those who wrote the Bible, the one who is with those who assembled the Bible, the one who is with those who translated the Bible, and we desperately need the Holy Spirit to be with us as we seek to understand it for our lives so that we might understand the will of God in our lives and not in the world as we read it. As we close our series on Bible 101, I hope that we're less intimidated by the Bible. I hope that we are inspired to discover its power that it can have to connect us to the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Because if we don't read the Bible at all, it'll never change us. Therefore, keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. And talk about them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your, on your hands. Fix them to your, uh, fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So that in our life we might love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. How we read the Bible will change our lives. But if we never read it, it'll never change us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for Scripture, for the 66 books we find in our Bible and and the way that you've used them. You were with those who wrote them, that you were with those who translated them, that you were with those who assembled them, and you were with us as we read it. So we pray, Lord, that we would have a healthy respect.
for what it means to interpret what you say, but, Lord, that we would find a passion and an inspiration to earnestly look for ways that we might better understand what this word, your word, says for us through Scripture, and that the living word, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would dwell richly with us and among us as we read it together for ourselves and for the world. Help us, Lord, in all that we do, that we might read the Bible so that it would change our lives, so that we can go out following you to change this world. In the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.